morning. It's a joy to be with you this morning. My name's Hannah and I'm the youth missioner here at Nix. Um, we are digging into the very start of John's gospel today and perhaps it's one of the better known passages of scripture. When I was talking to Will earlier this week about the passage, um, there was so much I wanted to say and he had to remind me that the sermon slot is not quite six hours. So I think I've managed to get it five or ten minutes down from that. So I hope you'll forgive me. But would you pray with me before we begin? Come Holy Spirit, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My family and I are big roller coaster fans. Am I on? Yeah, great. A big, big roller coaster fans. And we love a theme park, we love a roller coaster. And growing up, we went on a family holiday to Blackpool. And the sole reason to go to Blackpool was to go on a roller coaster called the Big One. Has anyone ever been on the Big One before? Lizzie, thank you. Okay, well, this roller coaster does that very classic roller coaster thing. It's a huge roller coaster with a huge incline. But before we got there, we um, were driving around for perhaps three hours looking for a parking space because everyone, it seemed, had come to Blackpool on that day to ride the roller coaster. So eventually, we park about 15 miles away, give or take a mile. None of us are talking to each other at this point. We've all fallen out because, you know, I pointed out several parking spaces that my dad missed and my mum pointed out some. So none of us are talking at this point. But we finally, finally make it to ride the roller coaster. And it, it, like I said, it does this very classic thing of inching up and up to the big drop very slowly. Now, if you ever go to Blackpool and you ever try to ride the big one, most people, as they are inclining up to the top, look down over the drop. But here's a little secret. If you look just off to your left, just a tiny bit, you won't believe what you see. Parking space after parking space <laughs> after parking space. Perspective is a great thing, isn't it? Um, and that is what John is trying to do in his prologue. He's shaping our perspective. In these beginning 14 verses, John is lifting our eyes up to the heavens. He's about to give us his account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. But it's quite striking that he doesn't start his account in a stable in Bethlehem, nor does he start with a family history of Jesus. John begins by asking us to lift our eyes up to the heavens, to see Jesus in his majesty, glory, and power. Do we see Jesus as John wants us to see Jesus? If you've got the passage in front of you, you might just want to take a look. But right from the very beginning, John echoes Genesis and tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, we could spend a whole sermon unpacking what the Word 
means and the rich history of that, um, that word translated from the Greek logos. But the important thing to note, because I can't go on for six hours, is that John is signaling to both Greek and Jewish readers that the logos, the word, the rational principle that keeps everything in the world in order, God has a name, and his name is Jesus. And God continues this point by emphasizing So John continues this point by emphasizing that God is the creator of the world right from the very beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. John is asking us to look up, to see Jesus in his divine place. He was there in the very beginning, before the beginning began. Everything comes into being through him. John is saying, look at Jesus in his glory. But not only this, John is asking us to see the world and everything in it from this divine perspective. John is basically saying, look over your shoulder. Look at all of this that I'm about to tell you. All of this about this man and this life and this world sits under the banner of God's truth, goodness, glory, justice, authority, and power. And it's from this great grand perspective that John draws us into the nitty gritty of the incarnation. In perhaps the most famous verse, verse 14, which I'm sure many of us have heard before, John says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Eugene Peterson puts it really wonderfully in the message translation. He writes, the word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. Isn't it really interesting that John doesn't introduce Jesus as a good moral leader, or simply the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, John introduces this great and glorious God, the lifeblood of the whole cosmos, as the one who took on human flesh and moved into our neighborhood. He came to be with us, to be with me, to be with you, and to be with our annoying neighbor down the street. That's kind of part of the package of our neighborhood, right? And here, John gives us a picture and a perspective on how God sees humanity. So John reminds us that God, in all his glory and majesty, chose to become like us. So humanity, being a human for God, is not something to be done away with. Humanity is not separate from God's glory, or love, because God's glory is found in the really dirty, fleshy places of our world. It's found in a body that needs to eat and drink and sleep. Kate Swan, our children's worker, was telling me that a couple of weeks ago they did this passage with um, the kids, and the kids asked the question, so did Jesus' feet get cold too? Did Jesus need socks too? God's glory is found in the kneading of socks. 
It's found in a body that bleeds and cries. It's found in a body that experiences pain and loneliness. God's glory is found in the dirtiness and messiness of our bodies and our lives and our world. I don't know if you guys are big Disney fans or not, but in 2008, Disney released a movie called WALL-E. Has anyone seen this movie? Yeah? Okay, well, so the basic premise is it's set in a distant future where the world has become totally ruined by rubbish. So the earth has basically turned into a large landfill and humans have escaped the earth because the mess is too much. And they go on a large cruise spaceship in the... I was going to say in the sky, but in space. They're just floating around there because the earth has become uninhabitable. And I don't know about you, but there's days when I look at the mess of my own life, or I look at the mess actually on the earth, and I think actually going up to a large spaceship cruise ship feels quite appealing. When I don't want to tidy up my house, and when the dishes are piling up, it's actually a lot easier for me to go out and sit in Starbucks for a couple of hours. Or when I have emails that I need to respond to, sometimes it's easier to just not open my emails. When I've wronged a person or I've fallen out with someone, it's often a lot easier to just avoid that person than it is to do the hard work of having a conversation about it. When we feel shame or anxious about the mess and brokenness in our lives and the world, it's easier to hide away or look for an escape. When we turn on the news and we see the brokenness, it's easy to conclude that the world is just too messed up for God to be here. God must have created the world, but then he probably has nothing to do with it because if he had something to do with it, it wouldn't look so broken and messy. Or we might think, okay, well, there's holy pockets where God um, inhabits our world. So we might see God or feel God in church or in our small group or around the dinner table. But there's also places of our world that we might say, these places are too ugly too broken, too evil for God to inhabit. But the problem with seeing our lives and our world like this is that our Christian hope then becomes nothing more than this kind of pie in the sky when you die, spiritual escapism when we say, okay, well, when we die, we get to heaven and none of this matters. We'll float up, up and sit on a cloud or maybe a spaceship, cruise ship, and we can just be up there and none of this matters. But that's not the God that we find in John's gospel. And it's not how God sees us or our world. God doesn't look at you and me, including seeing all of our mess and sin and brokenness and addictions and decide that it's too much work or we're too messy and broken. God doesn't abandon our mess. Because John's reminding us that God's rescue plan isn't a removal from the world. 
It's not a removal from our bodies. Because John reminds us in the mess, in the depths of our mess, God's glory moves in, not out. In the depths of our mess, God moves in, not out. God's rescue isn't some spiritual escape away. It's a total transformation of both us and the earth. And he does this by moving into the neighborhood with us. I've told this story once before at a 6.30 service, so apologies if you have heard this before. But I have a friend who runs a church plant in an area which has suffered for decades of generational unemployment and poverty. And they planted in a church right in the middle of this estate. And she lives in it and she works in it. She knows all the people who live in this estate. And one day she was driving around her estate, praying at each house for all of the people that she knew in each house. And she was driving past houses of people that she knows that are struggling with addiction or domestic violence um, or unemployment. And at each house, she is just contending. She is praying like she has never prayed before. Jesus, would you come into this place? Holy Spirit, come now. We need your presence here. And she's just like so... Um, so fixed on her prayers that she forgets her three-year-old is sat in the back of the car till all of a sudden a little voice pops up from the back and says, Mummy, what are you doing? She's a bit flustered and she's worried she might have scared her child so she tries to explain, oh well, um, I'm just praying for for our friends and I'm praying for our community. Um, I'm telling God about them. And the little voice from the back says, can I have a go? So she's like, sure, go for it. What do you want to tell God? And the voice says, thank you, God, for donuts. (laughs) Amen, yeah. And then the little boy continues and says, and thank you that you are here all around us. Thank you that you are here all around us. Sometimes we look at the world and all we see is the mess, but God hasn't left us in the mess. His glory has moved in. And this means that there's no separation between God's glory and our world. God's glory is found amongst the mess here. Like my friend was reminded by her three-year-old, God's glory is already here. I'm relatively new to the Anglican Church, and this is my moment of confession. When I first uh, started working here at Nix, I didn't know the prayer that we say over the offering gift. So when when we do our giving, we say the same words every week. And the prayer is, all things come from you, and of your own do we give you. Now, I must have led three or four services where I said, all things come from you, and of our own do we give you. (laughs) Not realizing what I had said, but that prayer reminds us that everything, 
that we have is part of God's glory, provision, and gift. John reminds us throughout this prologue that all things come from God, and there's nothing that God has not created, nor anything that God thinks is not worth redeeming. God has created and is committed to redeeming all things. And that means even the physical, material, dirty, fleshy parts of our world. So that means our material lives matter. It means our bodies matter. Because the Christian life isn't about abandoning our body. If nothing is outside the realm of God's redemptive power and glory, that means there's, that means there's no separation between God's glory and our world. There's no separation between God's glory and our jobs. There's no separation between God's glory and our money. There's no separation between God's glory and sex, God's glory and sport, God's glory and relationships. You may have heard it said, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And so I wonder, as I was prepping this sermon, there were two questions that kept coming back to me. Do you see yourself the way that God sees you? And do you see the world the way God sees it? Will mentioned that we're in this series about seeing Jesus afresh. And we've been asking over the 40 weeks this question of what's at the center of our lives. And my prayer and my hope is that as we put Jesus at the very center of our lives, it's not just about changing our perspective towards God. We've talked about that quite a lot over the the past couple of weeks. Jesus being the center reorientates our our perspective towards God, but it's also about allowing God to change our perspective of both ourselves and the world. So do you see yourself the way God sees you? Do you see the world the way God sees it? Do you see yourself as worthy of God's love, forgiveness, and transformation? Do you see yourself as worthy of God's love, forgiveness, and transformation? God does, because he took on human flesh for you. You've not been abandoned or casted out as too messy or too broken. You're chosen and you're loved. And he's committed to making you new. In the mess, do you see God's glory? Do you see your money as God sees it? Do you see the world as God sees it? Do you see your work as God sees it? Do you see your body as God sees it? Do you see our city as God sees it? All things come from him. John reminds us here in this uh, prologue 
that everything is situated within God's glory, God's gift, and God's provision. And throughout John's gospel, there's a repeated refrain. Amelia talked about this um, when she was preaching a couple of weeks ago. There's a repeated refrain of come and see. John is inviting us to come and see. Come and see the Messiah who has moved into our neighborhood. Come and see the glory of God with your own eyes. Come and see the world because God's glory, love and grace is here. Come and see yourself the way that God sees you. Come and see.